To episode 148 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. How are you doing? I think we're on the brink of something. I think we're on the brink of that the tides are turning. Oh, yeah? What tides are those? Those are the tides of our, our fortune, our success in the startup startup world. I think, I think we're finally moving forward, and it's really good. All right. Well, let's elaborate. I'm not sure what you mean exactly. I mean, I like, this, I like the sound of it. Well, the inertia of any foo has been uh, circumvented. We're moving forward with it. You've shown me some stuff. Um, you're really building it out using App Ignite, so I'm very excited that it's actually moving forward. I've I've prototyped the uh, scheduling widget for it. Um, Plugio's getting very close to hitting the three thousand. Actually, kind of capping that three thousand mark, which is great. Um, I'm doing A/B testing with Plugio, various different plans, and now I'm about to put out this marketing campaign. Uh, tweetboard.me which doesn't exist at the moment i'm saying this but I, the website probably won't even exist by the time this podcast goes live but it's a it's a viral concept and i think i'm going to release it next weekend and i've got a feeling that it's going to bring a lot of um attention to plugio and to itself all right cool well let's go through these one by one sure well i don't want to get to, i don't want to explain exactly what the tweetboard me thing is okay um, that's fine well, let's just leave on for last let's talk any foo first then yeah sure okay well what well <laughs> Who better to tell us than you? You're the one who's been working on well, it. Well, I, I want to hear about your de- your depression because we had a little talk about this, and you were feeling you were feeling uh, frustrated about the status of uh, of Anyfu, and and I think I'd be interested to talk about that a little bit. Well, I was feeling frustrated that we got stuck in the quagmire of design, and to be honest, I didn't feel from the beginning. I mean, we had we had arguments about it. Remember, mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel that it was necessarily. Th- the, the right thing or the needed thing to do to go into that level. But I, I was kind of okay with it because I was sold on the argument of, okay, look, it, the site needs to be really beautiful to appeal to the, um, you know, really beautiful, really upscale to appeal to the people coming to use it. But when we got held back a month, just waiting for design, I was done and I was depressed. Yeah. So uh, yeah, a couple things said, uh, about this one the mistake that I made was thinking that once we've done the mock-ups, we could get started on design. And I think that's a mistake to do that. I think that the mock-ups are a great uh, process to go through after you have the idea kind of sketched out in your mind, but before you start writing code. Um, I mean, you've been a big proponent of this for a long time. You've always you know, advised people to do that. And so you kind of... Uh, you know, pushed us to do that. And so I, and I, I was really impressed by how well it worked. I mean, it's <clears throat> part of me is always a little frustrated when I can't write code. Cause the first thing I want to do is sit down. And it's like, you know, let's just build it. Yeah. You no, know, I, and, and it's just probably, it's just my own impatience. And I guess it's because I know how to move things forward and, and it's real, but obviously when you start writing code before you have everything sorted out, you can end up just wasting a lot of time. So the mock-ups are, are a good way to avoid doing that. Um, but the mistake that I, th- well, the lesson I've learned is that after you've, come up with the mock-ups, the next step is to build a working version. Uh, you know, maybe, not, maybe more than a prototype, less than version one, just something that's functionally complete for a version one beta. 
So basically, make it work with semantic HTML. Yeah, make it work. I mean, you know, it, it. You know, you can spend a little bit of time, personal time, just laying out the the, the CSS so it doesn't look like terrible. You know, so that sometimes if it's so ugly, people just have a hard time even engaging with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you just kind of, you know, pick a decent color and a decent font, space stuff out, you can kind of look at it and go, okay, this sort of looks like what it should be. Um, and and then, and then and then when it looks. When it starts to come alive like that, you can envision it, and then you start to understand it a little better. At least that's how my brain works. Yeah. If if you if you took out all CSS and it was just just raw HTML, it sometimes it looks so foreign because it, it, it even if you know better, you know it's just CSS. It's still hard to really envision. Like I just this looks like okay. Well, you know what you're talking about, right? You're talking about a prototype. So it's a version that doesn't go out to the public, but it's a, it's a working version. So, And that is the correct way to build something. You think of it, you have an idea, then you mock it up before you do any more hard work. Then you prototype it, which is basically the first version of programming it so that you can use it and see it. And then you basically skin it. Yeah, because the, the, the reason that I think that we did it too early is that when you start working on it, you learn things about it. You, you think more deeply about it. So well, you and I might have spent anywhere from five to 30 minutes mocking up an individual page or individual screen. Usually probably it was more like, I probably 15, 20 minutes on a, a screen, wouldn't you say? Yeah. That, that you, you know, I think we're pretty good at figuring out the technology. I mean, f- figuring out the workflow and what the pages should look like, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't have everything. There's certain things that we missed um, or that we, we just got, we just got slightly wrong, but when you're actually writing the code for the page, it, you start you think about it more deeply. Um, and so when I'm sitting here staring at the page and kind of tweaking the CSS a little bit and formatting the output a little bit and just, and just looking at the data model, just things start to become clear that weren't clear during the uh, prototypes. And the problem is if you start designing um, before you do that, you have a bunch of screens that are designed wrong because the, 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 you, you, just, you hadn't learned enough at that point. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of like a an ongoing iterative quality control process. So each each iteration, you're increasing the quality control, which also reminds me of the way um, I remember seeing a documentary about the Beatles. And one of the conclusions that they came to in the documentary was the reason why the Beatles were so good was because they each had each other as a quality control partner, uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. And so they would bounce, you know, he would say the song to him and the other guy would go, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Except this, this one thing and this thing. And they'd bounce it back. So they'd go through these iterations of quality control on the songs, which, which they just kind of naturally did. Yep. And um, that made their stuff much better. And I think that this continual process of iteration and, re- and looking at it, and you know, when you're just coding and you're like staring there at the screen, you're just, you know, sitting there for like 10 minutes looking at it, thinking about it. Because you, you can go through like thousands of iterations in your mind while you're coding it, right? Sure. And then you just try, okay, I'm, you kind of think, come to a good place and you go, you're, I'm going to try that. And yeah, you, you do miss that if you just go straight from mock-ups to design. And so that's, that's what's really good about what yes. you're talking about. So that was, that's the lesson that I'm going to take away for anything that I work on in the future is, is now I still think it is important to have a real design on this. I, I, I think Matt left a, a nice comment on our last post, and he, he said he felt like we were second-guessing our decision to spend some money on, on, on the brand and the design um, after interviewing uh, Stavros about Historius when he bought, a, he bought the design on Theme Forest for like you know, 15 bucks or something. And his point was like, yeah, you know, that's fine off what he did, but 
he, he agreed with our, our point that the brand was going to be important to entice the experts to come on. And, or, and you had to get the experts to come on to entice other people to come on. So it's a sort of chicken and egg. And so at some point, someone has to step up and create something that's going to entice, you know. Well, the I think group. that's fine. So here, here's how that works. You've got the brand board. So we paid Daniel for the brand board. It cost us $2,000, right? Yeah. And, and we also paid for the character, which cost us $700. So we paid $2,700. Um, when all said and done to that point where we got that great character, the great logo, the great mood board, all of that stuff, you can just transplant onto any template, right? right? You can just, you can just buy a cheap template and then transport that whole look and feel onto that. That's sort of where I think we should have gone. I, I know that we're going somewhere different because we're going to get every page designed. Although, no, we had a discussion about that. We said we, we think we can do it ourselves, don't we? Well, here's, here's my thought on it. Uh, uh, let me just finish up one, one, one little thing about that is that, yeah. Um, the reason that I would wait on the mood board, even maybe even the logo, or we could have done that in parallel. Maybe we could have done the mood board and and we could have started coding a month ago, but, um, Mm -hmm. I think we were just kind of waiting on some of the designs first. And I I don't know why we were waiting. I guess we didn't really have to wait. Um, but sometimes you just kind of cue things up. You're like, well, this part's moving forward. So I'm just going to wait. You start blocking on things. And I, maybe it was just, we're using it as an excuse. Or maybe I was using it as an excuse not to get started because it seemed like the design was going to take so long. Yeah. And I, when I think about it, it really was that it was like, I'm like, this design process is taking so long. I got like, you know, six weeks. So I don't really have to worry too much about it. And I got a lot of other stuff to do, but if we had decided to start coding it up first, then, you know, that would have been different. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, so, uh, I really, I, I really kicked you in the ass about this, like about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And I was, I said to you, cool job. I said, Jason, I'm feeling big shame. <laughs> like, yeah, you're feeling bad. Well, you made me feel bad because you were feeling so bad about it. Yeah, so I'm like, just okay, like, well. look, you know, we, we are talking about this. We need to get this out there. Like I, I don't, it's just, it's just a thing with me. Like when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Right. Yeah. And, and especially when it's pub, you know, public like that. And, um, and I know that you do too, but I think you're a little more relaxed about taking the time, whereas I'm kind of a little bit more, I Well, know. you know, you, need, you, you actually need that. You need people to kind of buck, be bucking and rearing. I mean, uh, yeah, a friend of mine, uh, Phil, who we've had on the show a couple of times, he'd always joke with me. He says, you're, you get so horsey about things. You know, horsey, like, you know, a horse is like bucking and rearing, you know? Right, yeah. And I would always, because he always seemed to have a little more inertia, and I'd be like, come on, we got to do this, we got to do this. And I would just get things going because I was so, you know, just enthusiastic and just impatient. And you need that because if you don't have impatience, sometimes it's just not enough escape velocity. You never get anything going. And so it's good that you were feeling that, you know, and um, it wasn't that we weren't going to get done. It was just that we just moving. We got into this slow pace because of the design was moving at a slow pace. It's like it's like the pace of design just set the pace. Yeah. <laughs> is what it was. It just set the pace. Like, well, damn, this is going to take forever. Because it wasn't that, you know, say Daniel was slow or Scotty was slow or anything like it. It was just sort of like, well, okay, so we're going to talk to him the day after tomorrow. He's got too many clients. We can't talk to him tomorrow. So we talk to and we talk. And then he's like, okay, you know, I need a, need a couple days. And then it's the weekend. So then I'll have it back to you on Monday. And then we, well, we can't talk on Monday. So we talk on Tuesday. You know, it's just like that kind of stuff, right? It's just, it's just incrementally pushed out each time because- all, all parties involved are very busy. Like I've got multiple clients, you've got multiple clients, he's got multiple clients. Right. And, and therefore, it, uh, yeah, it just, it just stretches it out. Yeah. 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 You're coordinating three different people and then and there's lots of back and forth, right? I mean, he, he delivers something and you have some feedback about, it, I have some feedback and then we want to talk about it. And it just, 
it just uh, it just delays things, and then that set the pace to slow. And so then we're in first gear, and we're, that's just like you know our inertia. So if we had gotten in and we said, all right, let's start coding this thing up, and the pace is sort of set by our development speed, right? That might have been a little better because then even if the design was slowing, we still would have had something going. We still would have had something that we could show and we feel like this is real. Like this isn't just BS. This isn't just some vaporware. And it's kind of like when I'm coding it now, I look at it, I'm like, oh, I feel so much better because this Things are functionally kind of working. You know, like <laughs> Do you feel better in your soul now? Oh, well, you know, now I'm all, now I'm like all psyched out about it. I can't sleep. I'm looking at it. I'm like, you, you, you Skyped me like two days ago and you said, well, I, I, I can't remember your exact I'm so words. I'm excited. I can't stand it. Yeah. You, that's what you said. You did. <laughs> I literally, I just got this Skype. I'm so excited about Skyboard. I can't stand it. That's good. Any food. I, you know, <laughs> any food. So sorry. You know, it's like you get so excited that you almost feel like your chest tightens. Have you ever felt that way? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm so, I, I'm so excited. My chest was tightening and I was Dude, just, don't I was, have a heart attack. Like we've got to well, push no, no, this no. out before you have a heart attack. Don't, I don't, don't talk to me about chest tightening. Okay. Anyway, go yeah, on. Well, Cause I was working on the, on the, <laughs> I, I, at first I, I spent some time, you know, I, I got the, the, um, you know, the login and registration and all the headers and all the just general stuff that Epic Night generated. And, and cause Epic Night did most of it. Then it was me just tweaking the CSS and, and getting, yeah. getting things sorted out that way. Cause that, that's actually time consuming, just making it look not, e- not even designed, but just, just not- bl- blocking it out. Blocking yeah, it out so that, that, like, one box goes to the left of another box rather than more being vertical kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it just, just get it so it kind of looks like the mock-up, yeah, you know? So yeah. that when you look at it, you go, because I, I want you to look at it and be like, oh, I know what page that is. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it just, that just took a lot of the time. Um, and then, um, but then when I started, and then I was working in the dashboard, whereas it, you're, you could, you know, edit your profile and you know, look at some information about your, yeah, about your account. But then I said, I'm going to go ahead and just design or, or, or lay out the, uh, the expert profile page and which is the real money page, right? When you look yeah. at an expert, it's like when you're, it's like when you go to Amazon and you look at the page for a book, right? That's the, that's the primary thing. When someone looks at a book link, you know, what are they saying? They were saying the reviews, the basic information, how much it costs, the, publisher stuff, whatever. So, so when I started looking at that, I was like, oh, it's coming together. This is awesome. You know? Okay. So from a functional point of view, the, you know, versus the mock-ups, um, whereabouts are we at now? So the, let's see. So I'm looking at the expert profile page now and the layout, I mean, all the code, everything's coming in. I say it's like 90% complete. I don't have availability stuff. You know, we talk about like when the expert's available. Right. Um, I haven't got that because I haven't really... Um, I haven't sat down and spent any time thinking about what the data structure is that represents that. <laughs> you know what would be cool would be if we if we could go through each of those mockups and basically go through and say, check, all of this functionality is built. Go through the next one. Check, all of this functionality is built. And work out what the percentage of is left. So we can then kind of target those things and go back through. Sure. Because basically the mockups are, are, are like architect's plans for us. Mm-hmm. And they give us the framework for ev- for each piece of functionality that we need to build. So yeah. that would be a good way for us to answer this question. So maybe we can't come up with that answer yeah, right now. Yeah, we, we do that tomorrow. Well, I think we talked about Monday kind of reconvening and kind of figuring out where we are and creating a roadmap for the next week or two. Perfect. So, yeah. so but the, the next thing I was creating is like when you're on the page, you can hit like a, a button like book a session. Um, initially, actually, the con- it said the button said contact and I realized that's not clear enough. Yeah. Well, it should be, what am I doing? Am I, I'm going to want to say hello. I'm going to book a session with this guy, right? So make it, make it specific. And so um, I created that form and, and got that kind of laid out so that it creates 
the first step in the whole session, creating a work session process, you know, because then once you book a session, then it generates, creates some database stuff and then sends an email to the, the expert and they get an email and they say, hey, someone wants to session with you based on this description, suggesting these times, and then they have to continue from there. And it's a process that goes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to create that because that allows me to more easily create data that then I can look at through these other pages, right? Because if, if there's no way to create a session, then I can't look at lists of sessions and I can't get yeah. rid of sessions and all sorts of crap. So, and uh, it makes a little, and then of course it just clarifies things for me. So how much time have you been able to put into it um, given all of your other stuff, all your other contracts? I don't know, maybe eight hours over the last three or four days. Great. Maybe Good. something like that. Maybe, I, you know, more time than I should have on a couple of days. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be just consulting work and I was kind of, you know, in here working on it. And Sandy's like, so what are you working on? You know, thinking I was going to say something else. <laughs> I was like, uh, well, but she wants you to be working on any food. Well, now, you know, she, she, she wants to be balanced. She's like, look, you know, you, you got, you got to pay the bills, right? She's like, you know, she, you need to send out invoices. You need to get the work done. Um, otherwise it creates a lot of stress for her. Cause you know, if you can't, if you're not getting, you're not sending out, if you're not getting the work done, you're not sending out invoices. You're not sending invoices. You're not getting paid. You're not getting paid. You know, you got yeah. problems. So, um, she's, but at the same time, she's very excited about any food. She wants this stuff to get done. She's glad to see it underway now. And uh, she's excited, but she's like, you know, you just got to, it's just about balance. You know, you just can't, you know, you got you to spend your daily, you, know, you, you got to log your hours for consulting. Yeah. On a daily basis. So. Okay. So, well, that, I think that's a good overview of any food. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, about that? Uh, there's something related technical, but we can talk about that later. Let's, let's kind of go. Through. Is that the, the issue about whether to charge whether people should do an hourly rate for each oh, expertise. Yeah, why don't we do that real quick? The one thing I'll say is the, the one thing I kind of realized while building stuff out, this is a perfect example that of something that just wasn't as clear to me when we were doing the mock-ups, but then became clear after writing code, was that we'd kind of thought maybe it's a good idea that you, as an expert, you list one or more expertises. So for instance, I say I have an expertise in Node.js, I have an expertise in C++, I have an expertise in you know, C sharp or whatever, right? And each one of those are sort of separate and distinct. And then I list sort of my showcase items or footprints for each one of those. So like, you know, if, if we were an expert in Node.js, maybe you wrote a book, maybe you spoke at a conference, maybe you released some open source software, or maybe you did some big client project, whatever, right? I mean, the confusing thing is, is that like me, for example, I think the most valuable thing that I do is mock-ups of websites, working with entrepreneurs and mocking up websites. And I think that's really valuable. And I, I think that that is kind of worth a couple of hundred dollars an hour kind of thing. That's how valuable I believe that to be. Sure. But whereas I also do JavaScript coding and I, th I can imagine that being more of a hundred dollar an hour value. So I had said to you, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't there be the option that I can put myself out for $200 an hour for this one thing and a hundred dollars an hour for this other thing? Yeah, um, and that was the, the, the initially I thought you were wrong, and then I then I thought ah oh, you know maybe you're right, but then actually what I realized is that you, you run into a couple of problems with that with setting separate hourly rates for different ex, different expertises. Okay, the first is that let's say I'm a client and you've listed you know five or seven different things that you're an expert in. Okay, and uh, some of them are closely related. Right, I'm an expert in MySQL, you know, stuff, blah blah blah. I'm also an expert in JavaScript, and also an expert in MySQL. I mean, in PHP, and someone comes by and says, "Hey, we got the web app, and we got some stuff that we need your, we'd love your feedback and help with." You help them, and it turns out you worked in all three with them, kind of. Yeah. So what but do you charge? Yeah. What do you charge? And then you get in this kind of. So first of all, when they when the client starts to book a session, they're like, um, they kind of write this description, and it's clear that it's overlapping at two or more of your expertises, right? So what's the rate? 
and then, but then what later happens is that, let's say that you work with them for a few hours one day, and then even though the original description was something, it kind of evolved and you worked on something else, and then there's this lack of clarity of, of an expectations of who's charging what, and then, and so then you can come into a real problem between the, the client and the expert because of expectations. Well, so what do I do? I mean, I, for, for mocking up new sites, like that's, a, that's say a $200 an hour, and then Java, JavaScript coding is $100 an hour. So if I'm up there for $100 an hour, I mean, what, what price point do I put? Because so I, wa- I really want to promote myself. I mean, the work I really want to be doing is working with entrepreneurs, helping them think about and, and strategize and create new ideas. That's what I love. And that's the $200 an hour work. Do I put that up there and just get no JavaScript work? I just think, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you have to. I mean, it's like if you're, a, if you're an attorney and you come to attorney and they, they specialize in one thing, but they have some other things that they do. I mean, they're not charging you different rates for those things. Um, and I, I think, I think you, you really don't have, if you think of most things in life, I, I don't think most professionals charge different things. A doctor is just going to charge their hourly rate. An accountant's going to charge their hourly rate, no matter what they do for you. And yeah, is it, is it nice to have, be able to, in some cases, have this... Um, uh, way of uh, charging less for, or more for something else. Um, I, I just think it creates more problems. I, think, I don't think it's worth it. Um, and in your case, you just have to pick a price point that you're comfortable working, work, you're working at. Because in reality, that's what you do anyway. You, know, you, you have this idea in your mind that you're going to charge one price for one thing and another price for another thing. But when you're working for any client you've ever worked with, it's one price for your hour no matter what, right? But there's a lot less work to do uh, you know, mocking up of new sites with entrepreneurs than there is to do JavaScript coding. Yeah. So, well, that's, so that's, that's what I'd say is then if, you know, what you can do is just maybe you pick a midpoint that you're comfortable yeah. with, or maybe you just say, I'm just not going to do JavaScript. If you, what is it that you want to like build your name in? And you're somebody who works in, and helps uh, entrepreneurs and, and new, new businesses get the ground marking up concepts. I guess what you could do is register with any foo under two different names. Yeah, that's we're not going to allow that. <laughs> we're not going to allow that, right. Okay. Oh, it's going to be real. It's not. So I, I because I, I, you know, you, you were, I, I just think that's this. Yeah, we got to go the simplest route, and I think, yeah. you know, you, you, um, there's just going to be too much of a, of a of a problem for when people first set up, want to set up a session that they're not going to know what expertise they're actually using, what the price is, and there's really going to be a potential problem for like, what do I attribute these hours to which one and who charges and how much am I charging? I think you just got a problem. So, all right, so I think that does that does cover any food now, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's enough. So let's yeah. uh, let's hear about plug you. Uh, okay. Um, well, uh, I, I should have written down like my thoughts. Um, mainly, I'm just working. Well, like I tried the different the price points. So we you we had this discussion on Startup Guild, a very brief discussion about it. I showed the nine plans to people, and they were kind of confused about the fact there was nine plans. So what I did was last week I did a test, and rather than do nine plans, I just did three plans. Okay. So when you come to the plug your homepage, you see power user, you see business and you see agency. So that's the three different segments. Right. And then when you click pricing, you just saw three plans, mm-hmm. one plan for the power user, one plan for business and one plan for agency. Now you had said that you didn't think that was the right way to go. So the price points I had from that was 1995, 39.95 and 59.95. So I tried that for a week and I got four signups and this Coming week, as I promised to you, I'm going to try the nine plan thing where I basically have three plans for each of those different segments. We'll see how it goes. Um, So far, it's looking good. Uh, So far, your way is looking good. There's been, I think, three signups. So we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, pff, yeah, yeah. We got to make sure you get enough data points because I could still be wrong. But my, I, I was always thinking of um, how Dell does their website as, yeah. as the model, as a template. It makes a lot of sense. So like, if you're a government agency or a large corporation or a small business or a consumer, each one of those categories are completely different in terms of what the kind of machines they're going to be buying, the kind of questions they're going to be asking, their buying process, everything. So once you break them into one of those categories, then you um, segment what you're offering into different levels. So I, I and I, I always thought that would be the best way because with a plug you, because when we, when you showed me, um, or actually more when we discussed the kind of users you have, it just seemed that you had three different users and you were trying to figure out how to segment pricing based on, you know, to all the same groups at the same time, which I just, that was seemed not correct. Not right. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm, I'm much happier with the price points now because of the four price of the four that I got signups last week, I feel like the price points were probably a little too high because for the low end price point being 20 bucks and the mid price point being 40 and then the high price point being 80 or whatever it was, six, I can't remember. It just, it just felt wrong for the market. You know, this, this particular market feels like the lowest price point should come in at nine and then you can go higher for other things. So now I've got price points that start at $9.00. And so it, for, the, for the power user, I'll just talk you through those price points. $9, $19, $29. Kay. To me, that makes sense to a power user. Okay. And, and then the business plans now start at 19 the mid-range is 39 and the high end is 59 Okay. That makes sense. And then the agencies start at 29 59 89 So I feel like each, one, each group of pricing points makes sense for each segment. And I think your pricing can be can probably be raised especially in your middle and high end for each right. of those but you might as well start low and then inch them up if you see some success so something else um through uh through startup guild oh, i can't remember the, the guy's name right now but um anyway he recommended this product called zopim which is like a live chat thing so i've been testing that out for the week as well so when you come to plugio now there's like a little live chat thing and it's it's kind of nice um, I think I've had one person ask me a question. The main thing I've had, I mean, for a sales question, but the main thing I've had is I've had like five support questions. Okay. <laughs> so it acts as a support tool more than anything. But that's still good because, you know, the support is sales, like keeping your customers happy. Well, it's easier very- to keep a customer and it's much much more effective to keep a customer than it is to, to uh, try and find a new one. Yeah. You know, I think it's, 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 it's much less expensive just to solve their problem and keep them happy than it is to like start from scratch and try and convince someone to become a customer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that and see, oh, it was, it was actually Corey Mass who, um, who recommended that. And Corey yeah. is, does the birdie. Oh, he's got a great page, the birdie.com forward slash roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, he's built this. So that's the birdie.com forward slash roadmap. It's just a real simple thing that he's built. That's basically a, a pl- he sends all of his customers to this place and says, look, these are the different features. Vote for this feature. I think it's really well done. So simple. That's the way it should it be is. done. I like it a lot. You know, I actually asked him on uh, Startup Guild and he never answered. I asked him, well, you know, this looks kind of like a user voice, um, get satisfaction kind of thing. Why did you build it yourself? Because it looks like you build it yourself as opposed to just said, yeah. Um, and I never got an answer from him. At least I never saw an answer on Startup Guild. So do you know? You have any? Well, I, I, I can hazard a guess because those other things are just co- too complicated. Like this keeps it just so simple. It's just a simple list with a big number 
votes and a little button saying vote and it just makes that's all you need right those other those other guys there's full conversations and you've got to do sign up and it's all very complex yeah so i like this i mean i i um i mean just by asking it and i i tried to I tried to make sure I phrased the question the right way that I wasn't trying to be accusatory because, you know, people are so, get so angry when you build stuff and you don't use something that's already built. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh my good, non infinity here. Why don't you just use something that's already built? So I'm kind of like, hey man, if, if, if you want something that's a little different or you just feel like building something, build it yourself. You know, we work we're coders, right? That's what we do. And uh, so I got no problem with it. I just, I was just curious wh- why. Um, I've never used those uh, against satisfaction user voice. You have. So. Um, well, this is, this is kind of what I've been looking for. But you know, when you, you know, when you know in your mind that you want something that's simpler, but you don't exactly know how to present it or design yeah. it. This is like, yeah, if, if, I had, if I had the time to really think about it hard, and, and create a page like this, this is the way it would be. You so know, are you going to build simple. something like this for... Um, Definitely. I, w- I want to build it for Plugio and for Renifoo. And I, th- I think that, I think, as he said himself, every site should have something like this. It's it's very, very good. It's so simple to build. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like a, you know, an afternoon, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice. I mean, well, it's, it's important. When you, you look at the votes on his site, and it's like 282 votes for budgeting. <laughs> Yeah, and then two twenty two for an Android app, two seventeen for account income, and it goes down. And after like the top five, it quickly starts to drop off. You know, once you get down to like the seventh or eighth one, it's like eighteen votes. In eighteen votes, like, I find it interesting that Android app is so high up on the on the thing there. Um, so it's not it's not a, it's not the feature; it's the the access tool, which is kind of interesting. Well, yeah. Well, you figure. Um, okay, let's think about it. So if it's a budgeting app, when you buy things, when you're out. And when you have downtime, after you've bought something, you're kind of waiting in line, you're kind of, you're just checking out on something, maybe you're at a coffee shop, whatever, you're sitting on a bus or something, you want to enter it, and that's when you want, have time to enter stuff into your phone. Yeah. I just bought this stuff, I'm just going to go ahead and enter my phone now. But once you're home, it's like, now I got to take my receipts and go sit down on my computer, it's like, once you get home, it's like, you're, you know, we're going to cook dinner, we're going to like, I got to make some phone calls, I got to get some work done, it's, you know, we're going to you know, spend family time, right? It's like, you start running out of time, and I think people probably want the bookkeeping on this kind of stuff would be better the closer you can do it to the time you're actually making the purchase. Probably is what I'm guessing. But the other thing is that's, that's kind of a good data point is that the Android app here is getting 222 votes and the iPhone app gets 170. It's good that he split them up rather than saying Android and iPhone, right? He split them up so he can get to see how many iPhone. Well, he may not have entered it. Maybe someone else did because you can enter your suggest your own feature. I think that that just goes to him and he then enters it manually. That's the impression that right? I get. Yeah, it must be because it's it's all formatted nicely. It has a title. Yeah. You know, it's different right. text. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I don't know. The birdie's cool. I mean, I'm, you know, wish Corey luck with that. It's, it's cool. It's, it's exciting to see this take off because I saw it and we get some, get some juice on Hacker News, you know, two or three weeks ago. And it looks like he's got some, you know, making some progress. So, you know, I'm um, talking about uh, friends of texting. Uh, you know that I was hanging out with Dan DeFilippe um, from uh, bidonmyday.com. Right. And um, we hung out for a day and um, while he was working with Grub with us. So his, his deal is basically bidonmyday.com. You can bid on his day. He's got uh, all-inclusive flights. So he, I think it's lasts for three months. So he can travel anywhere in America, right? For free? Bid- for free, yeah. Basically, he's bought a, a one ticket that he could travel anywhere in America. How much did that so, cost? I think it's like a couple of thousand or something like that. I, I'm what, not sure. For what airline? I can't remember. Blue, blue something, something blue. Yeah, blue, jet blue. 
<laughs> maybe yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty so, cool yeah so basically you can you know you could get him to come over and fly to you if you're lucky for like 50 bucks he'll he'll do it he, he doesn't care like if it's if it's one buck two bucks whatever i mean he has he has continued been getting votes of like a couple of hundred dollars but okay. people have been getting him to come over to do kind of genuine work um so what was interesting i hung out with him he was working for grubwithus.com right and they've got a great setup i mean it's like facebook in there it's really uh it's the kind of it's uh, good living it's almost like the caricature of tech startup. <laughs> right. Big <laughs> like the tables, lots of bright colored walls. Yeah. And just really kind of sitting on good, bouncy balls. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, so you can tell people in there having a lot of fun. You can tell it's a great place to work. What I thought about his thing bit on my day, what, you know, the value that people would be getting would really be the fact that he would be going there because part of his plan is that he makes a video for you and, um, films going there and hanging out there and that could then be you know a pretty viral thing and get a lot of marketing for them but what's turning out as well is is that people really do want him to come and do work but anyway so i was kind of on this thing about man you should really be filming these people you should be getting them to like cheer and like doing a viral video about what a great place is to work and he really learned you know the way that i get like i'm just an overbearing pain in the ass right when i just get an idea <laughs> i just don't shut up about it Right. <laughs> like Dan de Philippe really learned what an overbearing pain in the ass I can be. And I apologized to him for that. So and you probably were right, though. I mean, he, what he should say, rather than bid on my day should be about coming and doing work. It should be I will come and make a viral video of your office. So come and spend, you know, maybe the first half of the day interviewing people walking around the office and the second half just kind of editing it there while you're there in their office. And then you're done by the end of the day. That's that's yeah that's exactly what I that's, think would be awesome. that was that would be probably more better value to the company and um, I don't know just uh, we'll raise his you know. price because if if the videos started getting really viral and really interesting like that, that if that was the kind of understanding of what the thing was as he went to the next company they'd be thinking okay what can we do how can we outdo the last company to be more viral and more interesting because bid because then this this website would be getting a lot of traffic and then his bids would go up to maybe a thousand dollars and. Yeah, anyway. I would just rather than bid on a day, I just say thousand dollars a day. You know, I'll do <laughs> right thousand dollars, and I'll come in and do a you know a whatever a two minute. You know, it'll probably the end thing probably should be more than two or three minutes. But you know, you shoot a few hours of footage, interviews, and walk arounds, and and cut. I mean, that would be a good deal for the company, and a thousand dollars a day would uh, wouldn't be a bad take for him. Well, how about he he calls it thousand dollar day dot com something <laughs> <laughs> video my company my you know I don't know. Record my company or something, but um, tellourstory.com or something. He is definitely thinking along these lines. And like, it, it's definitely that he's thinking along these lines, but it's just that the question of sort of making that the reality versus doing something else. But I'm sure that this is the direction that he's well, going to Well, it's the pivot, right? You know, you come yeah. up with an idea and then once the, you know, once the metal hits the road, then you realize, ooh, it's not quite right, but it's close. But he was a lot of fun to hang out with. Great guy. We had a drink. Um, I had probably a few drinks too many, and uh, and even though and you're not just, supposed to be drinking, yeah. So I so uh, like not only did he have me being overbearing, but he had me being drunk and overbearing. <laughs> so that was awesome. So you guys, because Grub with us is down in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. Just for anyone who doesn't know, so you and I are based in L.A. and Santa Monica, of course, is sort of part of L.A. It's on the coast, so uh, it's like forty-five minutes away, fifty minutes. Was it that far from you? Where were you? 
I don't, well, I'm in um, I'm in uh, West Los Angeles. So. Well, without traffic from Pasadena, I mean, I can like if I'm if I was going at night, I could be there in 30 minutes. If it's traffic, it's like 45 to an hour. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was. Less or the way you that. drive, maybe it is an hour. I don't really drive. I sold my car. <laughs> How'd you get there? <laughs> got a, got a lift from the wife. Oh, right. Okay. So all right, the next. Is, oh, well, I want to hear what are the numbers on uh, Plugio? Are you at 3,000 yet? Oh, numbers. Uh, just one second. You know that Plugio is two years old now. Wow. And I still haven't hit three grand a month. Terrible, the terrible twos. Like, it's two years old, and I still haven't hit three grand a month. It just goes to show you. But I did spend nine months paying no attention to it. Uh, so. so it's really like, yeah. Yeah. One year, three months. Okay, so, um, well, we're 18 days into this month, and it's hit 1,788 in revenue. It's projecting that it's going to hit 2,900 by the end of this month. So it's we'll still see. not we'll at the 3,000 months. Yeah. God. God but it, over that. Yeah, but it has been, you know, it has been growing the last few months. Remember, it had a few months where it was just pretty kind of stagnant. You go get like your distant relatives to set up accounts just to hit the 3,000 mark. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody please set up an account. Right. Uh, all right. And so what, what, what else we got? Uh, well, what, 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 what do you want to say? I don't what know. Do you mean? So you got a whole list of things list of uh well so okay so tweet board me uh basically i don't want to get too much into it because i don't want to give it away but it's a simple viral idea and i've just got a feeling that it's it's a kind of viral concept that i'm then going to push plugio through so on this website i will advertise plugio and i think tweet board me is going to go viral i've shown it to you what do you reckon Oh, that's very pretty. The CSS is, I mean, the design is really nice. I was really impressed. I'm interested to see how it does. So hoping to push that out by this Saturday. Um, the, I would push it out sooner, but um, I've got Scotty, uh, the guy who did the interview character. Uh-huh. He's, doing a, he's doing a logo for this. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah. So you're doing another one. Wow. Yeah. So it's not, not the same big deal. It's not going to be like the expensive kind of character thing. I, I've just got him doing something much simpler. How much is he charging you? Um, well, I don't, I don't want to say because I think he, cause I kind of asked him to do a rate for me and he said he'd do it as a favor. It's just going to be a one-off. So yeah. Um, Scotty is awesome. I mean, yeah, that guy is guy. awesome. I, he is so talented and he is, he's like the nicest guy and he's so responsive. I just, if you need anything, any kind of character or anything illustrated, he just, he you couldn't do better than Scotty. It's just, yeah. I am Scotty.com. Yes. I am Scotty.com. You send him an email. I'll let him design for you. You'll be amazed. Okay, so I've got, so got some other stuff to talk to you about. Um, context switching. You know this issue uh, it's that you've a problem. Got, <laughs> yeah, you know, context switching is a real problem, right? Well, um, do you remember I was looking at that uh, diet from Paul McKenna, uh, I Will Make You Thin? I don't know who Paul McKenna is. You keep talking can, about it as if he's like a well-known person or something, or maybe he is, and I just don't know who he is. So. He, no, he's not well-known globally. He's well-known in Britain. He's basically a hypno, hypnotherapist kind of guy. Okay. So it's diet from a mental point of view. So basically it's changing your thought process using NLP and techniques like that. And NLP is natural neuro- neural language uh, processing, neural programming, neural linguistic. Yeah. Okay. Not sure. Anyway, one of the things that he has in this, this book that I'm reading is called the craving buster technique. And what you do is when you're really thinking about eating something and you really want to eat that chocolate, you really want to eat that cake. You do this technique and it basically resets. The theory is this. It resets your brain, right? So it stops you from thinking about that technique. And I wondered if the, if the technique would work when I had the madness. 
you know when you've got the madness and you're working on any food, but you should really be working on client work? Yep. Right? No, wait, no, that never happens to me. <laughs> okay. Never. So that was what I wondered, because that's pretty much like a craving. It's like an obsession, right? It so is. I wondered. It is. Okay. I, so I've well, I'm a runaway train. I am so uh, governed by my inertia. It's like whatever I'm doing, I don't want to stop doing it. I, when I'm sleeping, I don't want to wake up. If I'm awake, I don't want to go to sleep. If I'm, uh, if I'm uh, working, I don't want to stop to go work out. If I'm working, I just, whatever I'm doing, I don't want to stop doing it. So that's so why this is, is like a mind hack that resets your brain. And okay. maybe just, you know, maybe it's just because I want to believe it, that I, that it works for me, okay. but I've been doing it and it, and it really does seem to work for me. So I wanted to tell you about it, right. but it's, it's very strange. Okay. Well, I would expect nothing less. Would you be prepared to do something that was very strange? No, not necessarily. I'd be prepared to listen to it. Okay. <laughs> That's, I'll give you that. That's about it. Okay. So basically what you do is, and th- this isn't exactly it, but I'll, I'll try and get close to it. What you do is you do a, a bunch of different movements with your body and you think Flap about a chicken or something. <laughs> no, You think about your obsession. So, so you think about your madness or you think about what you're thinking about all the time that you do this. And what it does is it, it basically uses every part of your brain and then ends up resetting that thing. So first of all, so let's say, let's say the obsession is working on any foo, right? So what you do with, with two fingers on your right hand, your index finger and the finger next to your thumb, basically you tap under your eye and you think about any foo. And then you tap on your breast, but your breastbone, and you think about any foo. You'd like tap maybe 10, 20 times each time. Yeah. Then you tap on your eye, and you think about any foo, right? And My then eye open or closed? Open. So just no, not on your eye, like under on your cheekbone. Sorry, I, I've, okay. I've said that wrong. So it's like cheekbone. Chest bone, there's no way I'm tapping on my open eye. I don't know. Oh, no, not on your open eye. What kind of okay. So after you've done that three times, um, all the time you're thinking about wanting to work on any food. Then you tap on your left hand in between your middle finger and your other finger. No, wait, does it matter where I'm tapping or is it just it, it, specific? It does, like- yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it is. You tap between your little, like in, on your hand behind where your little finger meets and the finger next to it. Next to it okay. Right. Think about any food. Keep tapping and then roll your eyes round the whole <laughs> up. So basically roll your, roll your eyes in a circle to the right. <laughs> okay. Then roll your eyes in a circle to the left. Then keep tapping and hum happy birthday. Okay. And then tap back on your eye. And, and this whole time you think about that. And basically, oh, I forgot to say, after you hum happy birthday, then you count to five. Because apparently what it does is it basically takes every quadrant of your brain and gets it kind of uh, reset. And then it worked for you? Yeah, it did. I can't explain it. You actually did. You did it one time and it worked? No, I've done it a lot. So I don't understand. I mean, you have to do it like every day or whenever you want to stop working on it? Anytime, yeah. Anytime you feel this really overbearing craving to do something. And it's just a fix to do it. It's, like, it's just a brain hack because basically it, it, each, each time you, you tap somewhere and you do something you, and you think about this thing, you're sort of thinking about it within the, that quadrant of the brain and it's resetting that quadrant of the brain. Right. Huh. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, it reminds me of, I think I told this story not too long ago, but I'll, I'll repeat it one quickly right here is, you know, the movie, I think you've seen, you've never seen anything, but you know the movie uh, Tin Cup with Kevin Costner? He's a golf pro at this like, middle of nowhere public golf course right and uh he uh he, he'd impress this uh girl he um 
he tries to make the U.S. Open because he's one of these great golfers that had just been, he's just kind of, he just gets so full of himself that he kind of blows up on in, in, in a round because he's he, trying to just do awesome things as opposed to doing the smart things to win. Yeah. And uh, so he's like, all right, I'm going to get it in check and I'm going to get my game together and I'm going to win out of the U.S. Open. I'm going to show her that I'm, you know, I'm the guy she should be with because she's actually dating this other successful golf pro. Right. Who's, who's won some big tournaments. So, he, he, he makes it to the, he actually makes it to the U.S. Open. And Cheech Marin, you know, Cheech and Chong, he's his caddy. He's his best <laughs> buddy and he's caddy. And the night before the U.S. Open, he's out there hitting and he realized he's all of a sudden, everything he hits goes flying off in one weird direction or another called the shanks. Like he can't hit the ball straight. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Help me out. You know, and his caddy is like at a loss. He's spending hours. He can't fix it. And uh, finally, He's like, look, don't worry about it. Go to sleep. It'll probably be gone tomorrow, you know. And so the, the next day, they're at the Open, at the U.S. Open. They're, they're warming up on the driving range, and all the other really famous golf pros are right there warming up next to him. They're like, hey, look, it's so-and-so. It's, and they're just, he's just sort of starstruck. And then he, so he hits his first ball, and it goes flying down and almost hits another golfer. <laughs> he does it, and everybody's looking at him like, what the hell is this guy doing, you know? And, and so he, he throws a, you know, Cheech Marin. He's like, you know, what am I going to do, man? What am I doing with the U.S. Open? I got the shanks. He's like, all right, all right. He's like, he's like, turn your hat around backwards. He's like, what? He's like, shut up. Just listen to me. Turn your hat around backwards. So he goes, all right. And he's like, all right, uh, take the change in your right pocket, put it in your left pocket. He's like, what? Is he's like, just shut up and listen to me. And he does it. He's like, oh, well, and he's like, now take that, take this uh, golf team, put it behind your ear and, uh, and, and do the, he makes me do two or three things. He's like, now I look, he's like, he's like, He's like, now I look like an idiot. He's like, why are you making me do that? I look like an idiot? He's like, exactly. And I'm just thinking about looking like an idiot. And you're not thinking about the shanks. And he goes, and I take a swing and he hits a perfect drive. Right. Right. It was yeah. like a perfect example of like your sort of neurolinguistic, you know, uh, hack here, I think. It was just like getting your mind off it and kind of reprogramming it on, in a different way. So I don't think that's exactly what they were doing, but it's almost the same thing. Yeah, it does remind me of that. It, it does remind. Um, By the way, actually, it's a funny movie. You should see it. Anyone who hasn't seen it, it's, it's late 90s. It's still a good movie. I w- we were listening to an NPR show and there was a, a caddy talking and um, talking about just what caddies do and how some of them can be earning like, you know, half a million a year kind of thing. Sure. Like they, they don't just, they don't just carry the bags. Like they really are your kind of emotional support. They understand you. They understand your game. They're amazing golf players themselves most of the time. Right. Yeah. Well, they're, 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 they're just sort of like mentors and advisors. Like they're mentoring you along the way they're advising you because I think you kind of get in your own world and, and golf is very much a, uh, a, a mental game as much as a physical game. You really, you, you have these emotional highs and lows. You hit a bad shot. You start thinking about the wrong thing. You can't get your, your mind straight. And I, I played a lot of golf growing up. My dad was an, like a scratch golfer. He was like the, I think he was a club champion of two separate clubs. And he was, he, his, his real hope was that my brother and I would be great golfers, be professional mm. golfers. And we were, I was really good up to the age of 14 because he had me doing all kind of golf clinics and, you know, lessons and stuff but i just kind of by age 14 or 15 i kind of just wanted to play other sports but anyway so um so that's why i know a little bit about golf so the uh caddies it's almost like your portable like uh like almost like a psychotherapist like the guy's help. yeah that's what i heard yeah it's like he's kind of a psychotherapist he's also kind of a swing doctor he's like look it looks like this is what you're doing with your swing you're shifting your body you're doing this you know there's help with your swing and they're also really good mapping out the a strategy for the course right like what club do we want to hit like you know look at this hole it's wet it's the, the wind is this way you've been hitting it such and such everybody else is doing this you know so it's 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 somebody to bounce ideas with it's sort of like a little mastermind group coffee. it's like a coach it's like your coach it is it is he's a coach so it's not just a 
dude carrying your clubs, you know? I mean, it's what it looks like, but it's, it's not. Okay, well, so one thing I want to just bring up real quick is uh, just a little bit about Appignite. Oh, good, good, good. I, I know that the plan was a, to sort of get in all our uh, project stuff, startup stuff at the beginning of the show, but... <laughs> Well, you know, we, I mean, we have been doing a little less. Actually, <laughs> that reminds me, uh, someone did a blog post and on the blog post, they said top five startup podcasts and number two was texting, but it said, it said texting and then in brackets, the early days. I, th- I think that's hilarious. And basically they said, now they're not really talking about that so much, but the early days are really good when Justin was just starting out with TweetMiner. And I, I, I love the fact that we have the early days. Like like David Bowie has his record collection. You've been you know, around like, long enough to have. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, we when someone says, you know, do you like David Bowie? You can say, yeah, I like his early stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, We're like that. Do you like texting? Yeah, I like their early stuff. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, episodes fifty through eighty five were the real strong, the strongest stuff. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I mean, I know. Uh, I guess this is something we do need to, to address as well is the fact that we have not been doing interviews. We haven't been putting shows out like clockwork. Um, we probably need to talk about that and why that's happening. Um, yeah, it was just pretty much all your fault, right? Is that? Oh, thanks. What been- and, and what we plan to do about it and what our plans are about the show. Well, go ahead. Tell the people. Uh, okay. Uh, sorry. We're just totally Tell going the all over people. the place here. Well, <laughs> I think basically the reason why it's happening is because we both have so much on our plate. It's, ve- it's like, as we've gone through texting and had our discussions and spoken to guests, we've learned more and more and more. And it's become more imperative for us to put that into practice to become successful. So we have done, you know, we're doing that. And that just basically takes away time. That's, that's really what it is. We're just working really hard on our stuff. Right. Because each show takes, I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know, something like three or four hours of work. Yeah, a minimum. No, each, each, right? So that's yeah. three or four hours of free time that would have been the time, because it's not time that you would have been sleeping, whatever, it's time that you actually would have been working on your side project. And well, that's, in- interview that's, shows are a minimum of six hours, minimum. Yeah, because it's more time, because a lot of going back and forth with them, um, and a lot of scheduling and stuff. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's, you're, you're, getting, you're getting towards 20 hours a month of time that um, could have been uh, funneled into a startup project, Um that's that's right. a lot of time, um, so I I uh, I think yeah I agree, but uh, at the same time it's like we do want to put out a quality product and we do want to do it, but it's also like weighing up like, well why are we doing it and what's the thinking behind it, um, so I, I think ultimately what we're going to do is we may pull back on the interview shows a little bit. Um, we've already gonna, pulled back. Yeah, we're we're going to keep doing discussion shows. We're, if if some interview show comes up, it it'll happen, but we don't know when. But mainly, we're just going to stick with the discussion shows. I think I think discussion shows we're going to try and be, you know, regular once a week discussion show, and usually it'll be out on us somewhere between a Saturday and a Monday. You know, we 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 do our we do our discussion shows on the weekend, unless there's some kind of situation where you're out of town or I'm out of town, in which case we try and get it done on Monday, and that's why sometimes it'll come out late. So we generally do a weekendish discussion show, and I think for the the interview shows, it's just going to be the kind of thing where. You know, we might get one or two in a month. We might get, you know, none in a month. But I, I'd like to try and get at least one every, you know, three or four weeks at the least. Um, a lot of it is just comes down to, to time. That's it. I mean, here's the thing about interview shows. A lot of, a lot of the times when we speak to people, we, we are just kind of proving the things that we've already proven with previous interview shows. I mean, at this stage, if you go back and listen to all of the old interview shows, you can learn 
what you need to know, you know. Um, but the other thing is we don't, we haven't been talking in our interview, in our discussion shows, we haven't been talking about the startup stuff that much, or we've been intermingling it with other weird stuff. So we've decided that we are going to start off each show mainly about Plugio, App Ignite, AnyFoo, and the other stuff that we're doing, certainly for the first 30 minutes to an hour. And then we'll go off on our tangents. So that if you're not interested in anything else, you can bail. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so that, so that it, because the theme the whole way through has been startup tech startup, right? And the good, you know, the good thing about the show is, is that we're building our tech startups. We're growing our tech startups and people can kind of watch us do that. So I think we should just have the format of starting out that so that that's the expectation. At least there's an expectation rather than us just randomly talking about anything. <laughs> Sure. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, one thing is that is uh, important though, is that you interview people and they have different stories and they've learned different things and they aren't always consistent. Um, you, you know, it's like, you have to reconcile, you know, things like, um, of course is, you know, you talk to, when we talk to Stavros and Historius and he's like, Oh, you know, I just did theme forest and, you know, and I bought a $14 theme or something and, uh, that was fine. Right, so therefore, you, what, what was the lesson there? Don't spend any money on design. But then you talk to someone like Luke Robluski, and he said, and we ask, well, what is your user experience? What is your product? He's like, everywhere you touch the product, design is incredibly important. Design is your competitive advantage. User experience is, you know, critically important. You know, so those things aren't aren't consistent, right? They're at odds. And mm-hmm. you really have to sort it out for yourself in, it, in, in, in terms of, you know, what is the kind of product you have? I mean, how important is user experience to what you're doing and to the people you're targeting and how many, how many resources do you have? And it's just all different, right? I mean, that's why all these, like, rules, people come up with these rules of thumb. Well, best practices, conventional wisdom, lean startup model, agile methodology. This is what MVP. This is what people say. It's, this is what, well, fine, you know all those things are relevant and important, but they all have, you have to kind of put like a scalar weighting between zero and one to each one, depending on how important it is to your particular context, you know, mm. your product, who you are, what you're trying to do. Um, it's just, that's why it's like so important to, to um, even if you do listen to these, any interviews, and you listen to them on any of them, they're on Mixergy or, or, or whatever, and you know, you can do takeaways and you go, okay, this guy says something completely different than these other people are saying. However, he, what he's doing is very similar to what I'm doing, or at least his, his constraints in this market is similar. So I, I guess it depends is- on your, a little bit on your comfort zone, because like some people, you know, aesthetic is important to them and they, they're the person who has to keep working on this project. So if they're not happy with the project and they're not happy with the aesthetic, then they're not going to keep working and their business isn't going to be successful. So that's, you know, if you are very aesthetically inclined, you should probably build an aesthetic website. If you're not, and it's just about building a business and just learning that, then maybe just use Theme Forest or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just so complicated. It's, it's, just, it's just not black and white like that. And, and, mm. and that's, that's why... Um, in the end, it's like you have to take all advice and all everyone's story with sort of a grain of salt. Be like, okay, you know, I I, I understand, but uh, this is other issue here. Um, a- anyway, anyway, the main thing is is um, that's what we're going to be doing for the next foresee- for the foreseeable future is mainly discussion shows, talking about our startup stuff and what we're learning as we go along, and the progress. And then from this point forward, which is well, we're now an on the clock here is an hour in, but it'll probably be shorter once it's edited. But from this point forward, we're going to talk about Jason's crazy and wacky links. Yeah. Well, first I want to talk about, um, uh, App Ignite. 
Yes. Go on. Which isn't a crazy link, but uh, it's, it's the never-ending project. Uh, one thing that was, uh, you know, I talked about is moving it to JavaScript from PHP. Mm. So I've got most of that done, at least in terms of the engine. Um, and it's really interesting because when you run it on JavaScript, it's instantaneous on the client side. Right, you mm. you hit generate and yeah, that's much better. And and then what, the way we have it work is like we found this little library called JS Zip, um, so a little JavaScript library. So then I can just say, you know, add a a name of a folder um, or a path and a relative path, and then the contents of the file, and uh, and then I just then I just send the contents of this um, back to the server, you know, over like uh, ex, uh, AJAX. And it's a, right? a fully built zip. Yep, and it's a fully zip. So then it, the, <laughs> so the server just receives a zip and hits deflate, and then you're done. Wow, that's all. That is awesome. That's really good. Isn't that cool? So it's it's completely. So it's it's it's, it's the compression is like what ten to one or something from the original text source. It's uh, you know it's um, it's completely organized, and there's no work to do on the server. I mean, I mean, what what does it take a server to deflate uh, a a zip file? Not much. Yeah, minimal. Minimal. minimal and uh you know other than so there's almost there's almost nothing to do on the server so scalability is greatly enhanced because i was having there were instances where you would generate it and then the server would just kind of practically time out or go for like 10 or 20 or 30 seconds or a minute or more in some cases we're just wouldn't respond you're like well what the hell's going on okay you know? cool so so that's the, and and that's your the thing you wanted to say about app ignite well that I mean, was the one thing uh, that i well, first cool. thing i wanted to mention so we did that i mean there's a now we have to build the the single page ui but that's very much in 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 mine in Guyon's uh, wheelhouse. I mean, you know, we're we're very strong at building these, you know, because of Prezo and stuff. We did it for years, so um, we can make this really slick single page app. Would be incredibly responsive, and so building something will be um, will just be a, a rapid experience. Okay, talking about Guyon, I've I sent him an email. Um, I want him to send me that scrolling library, but packaged so that it's for a consumer. So. But all I need to do is to just use it like jQuery and specify a div, and it's just like one line of code. Because I guess that's the way you want to put it out there, because the one that he sent me before, there was all sorts of configuration options, and there was like functions in the, in the main HTML. So I'd, I'd love to use that for the tweet board thing. Yeah, I'll be interested. You know, his version not using jQuery. Um, you know, and it was like 170 lines, and then he, he jQuerified it. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was maybe twice the size or something. I mean, it's still tight. I mean, it was like a few hundred lines, but it was, you could do all kind of configurations using all uh, CSS classes and stuff. And it was all jQuery. So, I mean, and which is, you're going to have probably more people are going to want to use that than a non jQuery version, I guess. Yeah. Well, so I want to get my hands on that so that I can style the scroll bars nicely in this thing. And I was going to, you know, I was, I tried to use the version he sent, but I, it was a little bit complex um, and then I thought, well, oh, I'll just use J scroll, the one that's already out there that I've already used. And then I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait for, uh, for Guyon and actually use this other one. So. Yeah. Well, that, that was the one prompt. See, you know, when we were talking about it, cause he said, oh, I'm going to, cause I initially built my version and then I had him help me, um, debug a couple, I had a couple problems and, and I just said, you know, every once in a while I'll be working on something I'm like, God, oh, just <laughs> let's work on this for, you know, half yeah. an hour, whatever. And, and, uh, and we use able to solve whatever the problem is and um so it's one of those kind of things and he um after we worked on it a little bit he was like hey you know mind if i just take this and do a jquery i'm like yeah whatever you know i mean i don't i'm not going to use it <laughs> i'm going to use yeah. portion because he's like well you know we'll make it so it can be horizontal or vertical scroll and you can have arrows and this stuff it's like well i don't want any of that stuff so i don't care yeah. <laughs> and all it's going to do is 
you know, make the code base bigger and the user interface harder to use because now you have to ha- specify all these different classes for how you want everything to look. And it's like, I just want the basic thing where maybe you can change a few colors and widths of the, the oh, one. Oh, that's all I want. So maybe... Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. You can, have mine, you, want. you can have mine if you want. <laughs> well, that's the Uh-oh. whole thing. You know, as soon as you create like these libraries that try and make everybody happy in every context, it just, you know, it'd be, instead, of, instead of becoming an, a Mac, it becomes Windows. Right, you have like 15 ways to shut your computer down. It's like I don't care about the other 14. Just I want an off switch. So, um, but I get why he did what he did. I just it just didn't solve my problem, so I didn't care. Um, yeah, well, that's cool. So the other thing I want to say about Epic Night um, is that I tell you by eating your own dog food. So generating any foo using Epic Night is such a valuable process. So the the first sort of real application I used Epic Night for. To gen, uh, was uh, to generate a client project. Um, and I learned a lot. It made me, I, after that, I, I, I figured I need to simplify some things. I decided to go with um, a much more dynamic sort of object uh, ORM, you know, uh, object relational mapper. So I built uh, sort of a runtime ORM as opposed to just a, gener- a, a SQL generator. And then I also very much simplified how routes work and how the auto-loading of classes and th- different things that, because as soon as Epic Night was wasn't able to do something and I had to do something manually, if the if the code was complicated, then it turned into a nightmare, right? So I wanted the, all the generated code of everything to be really simple. So if I needed to make any manual adjustments, it was, you know, almost no typing. Um, but generating um, but generating any foo, one thing I realized, which is actually something that. Um, uh, that I think some feedback I heard from like at least one or two of my beta testers, yeah, which was that uh, you rather than have what, what Epic Night will do is if you just specify a model being like a you know for people who aren't familiar with what I mean I mean like a table like in a SQL table a model yeah. generally one to one relationship between a model and table so in Twitter a tweets <laughs> might have a tweets table you know or something or users table or users model so um, for each model it would automatically generate four basic kind of views and edit if view or form or for, or for editing or creating the records, there'd be like a, a standard view, a list view and a delete view. And then there'd be different partials if it was in the view, if it was sort of a, a, in the context of another view. But really what you want to be able to do is, is not have it automatically generate all those things. You want to just create one view at a time. Say, I need a view that's based on this model. That's this kind, right? And then I'm going to go and configure Cause a lot of times you'll have multiple views of the same kind of view of the same model, but they're just slightly different because they're from different contexts. But a lot of the views you'll never have. You'll never even use those views. You'll right. never be editing. And so it's like, so they just pollutes the directory structure. You have all these views, 70% of them you never even use or need. So what you want to do is, at least in some cases, is that when you go I'll create a new application, and unless you're using a templated application that, re- that creates some stuff automatically for you, it just, the only thing it creates are like the login and register pages, the very basic stuff, and then you create one view at a time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That was like, so I was like, because now what I'm doing is I generate the whole thing and then I'm going and manually deleting all these pages and manually copying and pasting, you know, these views, renaming them. And I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. And so what I'd figured out is as soon as you do something manually, even if it's simple and it's built on a library, it's still 20 times slower than generating it. Yeah. Right. So as soon as I step out of App Ignite, I'm screwed because I'm not screwed, but it's like, you know, 
if you're using something like Rails or Django or Cake or whatever, you know, it's like five times, 10 times faster doing that than it was writing everything from hand by hand. But using App Ignite is still another order of magnitude faster. So then you're back down to like, okay, now I'm just moving as fast as everybody else who actually has to write code. Even if the library does a lot for you and everything's nice and clean, it's still typing. Rename this, type this, change a few things here, blah, 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 blah. Then I have to think about, oh, what did I forget to do? Do, 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 You know, and still, instead of instantaneously, it took you 30 minutes. So basically, through using your own dog food, you're seeing the, which parts are the manual process, and then you're learning, okay, now I can automate this as well. Yeah, just make sure that this is a, yeah. So it's just, um, I want to not have to step out of Appetite unless I absolutely have to, because it's just, it's so, it's such a productivity enhancer that as soon as you don't use it, you're back down to, you know, you know, being a mortal and actually having to write code. And it's like, God, now it's taking me a half hour to do this stupid page when it should have been just done. Cool. You know? Well, I think that sounds sounds good. And I'm looking forward to you uh, uh, and, oh, building and, out anything. And one final thing. One final <laughs> thing about yep. Appetite is, um, so on a, I think I mentioned this a number of uh, episodes back that, you know, so it's Guyon and I are working at Appetite, but I'm also... Um, I've given a uh, some equity ownership to an investor who uh, who was who put money into Prezo, yeah, um, or it was called Adaptix Technologies, and I basically wanted to. I felt like we came so close, but we didn't we didn't succeed. And he put a fair chunk of change in there, and I just and he believed in me, so I'm like, you know, I gotta, you know, I want to make him some money. Mm-hmm. You know, I want him to, you know, think, okay, if you're gonna put money into Jason, then you know you're going to get your money back or you're going to make money as opposed to like, well, sorry, <laughs> you know, that's it. We tried. Yeah. And um, so, but one thing that's interesting, so we met a couple weeks ago and we've been meeting periodically. We had a couple lunches and talking about it is that, you know, just by having him on just in, in getting involved, it's, it's forcing me to be more serious about making App Ignite into a product as opposed to just like an ever developed technology. Right. Because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get any benefit out of just, geeking out on some technology. He's no, like, he doesn't get a benefit when you refactor from PHP to JavaScript. No, he doesn't care. And um, and so it's it's like, so what I said today is like, we're going to try and probably incorporate it as an LLC or create an LLC within the next few weeks. And then I think Guyon and I are going to try and need to create like a roadmap for the next couple months. Like, okay, what do we need to do to get something out in a couple months? Like just yeah. finally just get this thing out and whatever it is, just pare it down Whatever, we, whatever loose ends we need to tie up, just get it. Get awesome. It That's what I said. I feel like the tides are shifting. I feel like we've moved through like a, an inertia barrier. But of course, I have no credibility on the Anyfo thing. I mean, the App Ignite thing, because I've talked about it for so long. So <laughs> take, you take well, it for what it's worth. But that's, that's, that's the plan. And I, I think it's, it's helpful to get, getting him involved. Just well, for I'm hoping to bring credibility to, to the whole Anyfo thing. So <laughs> let's make it happen. You call me up and tell me you feel ashamed. And then we're like, yeah. all right, let's get it done. Yeah. And no shame. We can't have any shame here. Oh, and the one thing I would say about the uh, the incorporating is, um, I initially was talking to him. He he about like what should we use? Should we do an S corp or or an LLC or a um, C corp? So yeah. like, if you want to get venture investing, you really need to be a C corp. I mean, C corps only. I mean, venture funds because of the way their partnerships work with their limited general partners, they only invest in C corps, and it's because of tax things. Because if if uh, an LLC or S corp makes a profit, then there has to be these partner distributions. You have to, each of the partners who own equity have to pay taxes on that gains. And you know, if you're a startup, you know, and you have like 10 million in funding, and you're just they're just trying to build it so they can turn around and make it profitable later or sell it. They're not trying to take profits out or pay taxes on it. So if you had all these investors, 
you know, all these pension funds and institutional money that are in this VC fund, it creates a really complicated tax situation for them, right? Hmm. So they always, so if you hear, if you read about startups and what you should start and they talk about C-Corps, they're really talking about companies that are going to go for venture funding. Hmm. Okay. So if you're not going to go to venture funding, it's usually more expensive and more headache for the administrative costs, the, you know, that you have to so do. W- and board. what did you decide? Well, and so what he was saying to me, because initially it was like, well, why don't you just create an S-Corp? Because if you're an S-Corp, which is, is, um, it's a corporation where you have shares, where an LLC is like a is sort of a hybrid between a partnership and a, and, a, and a corporation. There are no shares, they're just percent ownership. But so for an S Corp, though, you have shares. But the thing is, he was thinking, well, in that case, we don't have to do this K1 distributions at the end of the year, which is kind of a pain because for all your partners, you have to get the accounting firm to create K1 partnership agreement um, uh, forms and have them sent out. And he's just like, and then what happens is if you make a profit, so let's say that you make a million dollars of profit. Okay, because mm-hmm. the company makes a million dollars of profit, and you take uh, and you're, you're even if, even though you're going to invest that back in, you still have to pay taxes. So if you have four investors who each own say twenty five percent of the company, they have to pay taxes on two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So you have to pay them enough. You have to dis- to pay them a dividend or, di- or distribution on the taxes on two hundred fifty thousand, just so they can pay taxes on it. <laughs> right, just kind of stupid, right? It seems kind of silly that you have to do that, but that's how it works. So did, and, and, what did you decide in the end? But at the end, the issue is you actually can't – S-Corp, you actually have to do that too. You have to do K-1 distributions. They're not – I mean K-1 uh, statement. You can't do – it's not like a C-Corp. So – the, but the problem with an S-Corp too – oh, so not only do you have the same problem that you have an LLC that you have to do K-1s, partnership K-1 – or K-1 partnership uh, forms or something. The other thing is you can't have uh, foreign – you have to be a U.S. citizen, I think, or a U.S. resident. So Guyon is not a U.S. citizen, so we can't do an S-Corp. Mm. So then it comes down to an LLC. And, but the only problem is I'd read about a number of these articles. You know, I, I was all over the web reading about this. And Isaac, who's the CEO of Central Desktop, you know, who we, we grabbed lunch once a week, and he had been emailing me a bunch of links on this topic. Um, and you know, I, basically, the, the, what I'd heard initially was that, well, it's, if you start as an LLC and then later decide you want to raise money as a C-Corp, it's very expensive and legally complicated. But it turns out that's old news that apparently it's actually not such a big deal. So the, the, the gist is, unless your real goal, if your real goal is like, we're going to try and just get something up simple and then we're going to go to get angel funding and then we're going to get venture funding, then you might as well do a C-Corp. If you're like, well, I th- think we're going to build a company our plan isn't to raise venture funding. Maybe we'll raise angel funding if we want at some point. And you know, who knows? We could do a VC point, VC money at some point, but that's really not part of the roadmap. Then just do an LLC. Interesting. That's the gist. So it's it's really what your goals are. Um, do an LLC. I've got actually a question to ask you about raising money. Um, I've showed this uh, the tweet board thing to a few people, and I, I basically have built this as originally like a throwaway marketing viral concept. Sure. For, for Plugio. But as I'm showing it to people, they're like, wow, that is kind of shit hot, right? And It just shows you how important design is. <laughs> because it's right. just the same information that you show in other places, but you just put it on a really pretty design, right? Well, it, yeah. And, and it's, it's yeah, it, it is. It is. I think design is important. And also then there's some other kind of aspects of it and the way that it's being marketed. Oh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me sort of hedge on that. It shows you how important design can be. <laughs> Right, okay. on your body. It can be important. And in some cases, it's not important at all. I, I can kind of imagine this thing going viral to the point where half the people on Twitter start using it. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right. Let's, let's, right. let's Okay, five, 2%, you start using it and you're still killing it. 
one percent. Yeah, okay, okay. So let's say two percent. So that, so the thing about that is, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of uniques. It's a lot of eyeballs. I mean, should should I consider funding for this thing? I think it's the kind of thing you release and you see what happens, and if all of a sudden, you know, it goes viral and gets written up on Hacker News and TechCrunch, and people start talking about it, you're going to get phone calls from investors, and then you make a decision then. But that's still, even if even though it's really slick and a lot of people use it, that's still that's still sort of an uh, an outlier case. I wouldn't count on it. Right. Okay. I mean, even if it's really nicely done, I just wouldn't. You can always do it later. You know, just get it out there, and if it's like. You know, it goes big and start, you know, you can go and spend a little more money and put it on one, you know, Rackspace or Amazon or put something at scales. It's still not that expensive. And if it, if it, if it sustains, it's not just something that's like a three or four day bump, but it's like, it's growing and a lot of people are using it. Then you can go and try and raise a little money, a little angel money and uh, see what happens. But, you know, it's- Because I'm thinking that, yeah, because I mean, I am thinking that basically it, it itself is, you know, in terms of barrier to com- competition, like- other people would be able to build it um, and they would be able to, you know, get something out there within a month kind of thing. Um, but I would probably need like money if I was to try and consolidate it and, you know, turn it into iPhone apps and iPad apps and all that kind of stuff. That's what I was I thinking. Just wait and see, you know, the whole lean, I think the lean uh, thesis applies. Just get something simple, get it out there and see what happens. You know, I mean, you can always raise money. If you get traction, raising money is easy. I think it's okay, easy. So people, people see something people using and people caring about, you know, it's sort of like collateral. That, that reminds me, I do want um, texting listeners to be beta testers for this thing. So just, just send me an email to jv at vip.ie and um, I'll put you on the beta test list. I don't have any website, but I'm hoping to get it available for beta testers by Wednesday of this week. So just send me an email to jv at vip.ie and just put beta tester in the subject or something like that. And I'll send you, um, I'll send you an email when it's, when it's ready to be tested. Because you know what? I want to try and maximize its viralness um, by getting people to look at it and giving me feedback. It's virality. It's virality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, you want to change subjects? Well, I do have something to bring up if, uh, if you, before you get into your link stuff. Go ahead. Um, so I went to... Imad Nafa's funeral, um, who he's a, he's a customer, he's a case study for Plugier. Uh, we went to his funeral down in Fresno, uh, because he, obviously he died. Uh, it was very sad to hear that. Um, and, um, he helped with the development of the product. Like he would regularly call me up and bug me about adding features and stuff like that. So I was sad to hear that he died. Myself and Georgie went down and, um, it was just, it was interesting. But when, when we were down there, um, in the hotel room, just uh, the night that we were there, I came across this channel called Link TV. Have you ever heard of that? No. So Link TV is basically, it's like, it's like a completely donated channel. And all the stuff that they show are things like basically how Monsanto is, you know, is taking over the world. And like, basically it's like uh, media, but without corporate influence Okay, is what it's about. And they had a documentary called The World According to Monsanto. Have mm-hmm. you have you looked into or, or discussed much about Monsanto and what they're doing? I mean, I know that they have a lot of genetically modified foods and that they get really aggressive with their uh, IP stuff and they start suing people who um, – and small farmers who use seeds that turned out that they were like – genetically modified seeds or something and it turned out that genetically modified, modified seeds are like they can only be used once like they don't 
you know, the, the, the plants they produce don't actually produce more seeds or something? I, I, I've never been so angry watching a documentary looking at, I mean, basically this is a mafia shakedown, what mm-hmm. it's doing. And, and it's, it's even more insidious because they'll, they'll basically, you know, the seeds will cross pollinate. Their seeds will cross pollinate with other farmers' seeds. And it's, it's basically impossible for farmers to keep the seeds out. And then they'll go through the other farmers' crops and they'll find proof of their genetics in their crops, even though they didn't want to be part of Monsanto. Right. They, they will then sue them. Right. It's, it's, just, it's just horrific. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think Monsanto probably would go up there as like the top five, top 10 evil companies out there. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about the Monsanto thing. Um, you know, and I think one thing you have to be careful though of, and I don't mean this to say that Monsanto is sort of not guilty or, or not an evil corporation or anything, because they probably are, or they probably do a lot of things that are uh, evil, but it's just, when you get one, you get one side of the story, and um, right, right. in these uh, documentaries, it's kind of like I remember we used to, Sandy and I used to watch this uh, show uh, called City Confidential. I think it was another one was like Cold Case Files or something. They were like sort of similar, and and, and it was like an hour long show on some like murder case or something. They go in some town and they talk talking about some. Oh, I've seen that, and it changes your mind as it goes through the show because they show you different perspectives, and you're like, he's guilty, he's not guilty. Like, like, he's oh, guilty. that guy he's is not guilty. so <laughs> effing guilty. My yeah. God. And then you find out, and then so you get like one side of the story, and then the second half, then they start revealing another set of facts that weren't re- revealed until later. And you're like, oh my god, that guy didn't had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah. yeah, and it seems impossible in the first half. You're like, oh, they, there's just oh, there's so much did it. There's fire. That guy's guilty. There's yeah, no that guy's question. guilty as hell, right? And they play the little game with you, um, which. I think after you do that, you kind of learn how easy it is when you only when you shade the. It's not. It's not even you don't tell the truth. You just only show a certain facts or not the whole story. And you can be completely convinced, completely convinced. You won't even listen to the other side. Someone starts bringing something you're like, no, no, dude, come on. Don't even talk to me. I, I know the story. And uh, yeah, you gotta be careful. And documentaries are like the first half. Usually, usually documentaries are making a point about something. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're, it's not that they're wrong or they're trying to um, mislead you. It's just, they have a perspective and they're trying to show that, you know, X, Y, and Z is the case. It's like, it's like a debate team. Yeah. And if they're good, or if they're well-made, it's it to be very convincing. And um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, and it's not like, you know, cause there's, you know, like they say, there's two sides to every story. It's not like both sides are always equal. Right. I mean, some sides it's like, even after you hear the other side, you're like, no, the others, that, that doesn't, that's, that's a weak case. Right. I mean, um, there's a case for, uh, you know, OJ Simpson's innocence. It was a weak case. The guy was guilty. <laughs> you know, he was proven innocent and I guess they found innocent, but I, I don't think anybody really think he thinks he was innocent, but I don't know. You get, you have to, uh, well, have- anyway, I'm telling you what, The World According to Monsanto, I, I recommend that documentary being watched. You want to get in a really bad mood, really angry? It was just, it, I mean, I don't know. If, if, that, if the stuff that's said in there is true, which maybe it isn't, it's irritating at, at the least. Yeah, I, I think they would go in the top 10 most evil, probably. Halliburton, <laughs> Goldsack. Okay, so uh, we are... In recording time, one twenty-five. So uh, we don't have too much time for your links, I'm afraid. All right, we'll get a couple things. We can do a couple. Okay, things. go on. Go on. So I got a. I read another thing on the whole uh, stand-up versus sit-down while you're working. Oh yeah. Issue. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
we've spoken about it a couple of times. Yeah. Right, right. And so I guess for these things, like you can have these these certain desks that uh, you know kind of can stand up desks or desks that will slowly over time raise up, like on a timer. Didn't you use one of those? Yeah. It won't. Right. Yeah. But you end up stop using it because why? Um, I well because at the end of the day, I just kept on sitting down. It was just seemed to be like a pain to keep on raising it and standing up. Just right, lazy. Right, right. Laziness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess this last article I read, they said that they did some studies on, it, and it turns out that when people are standing up, they're much less productive. They have bad wrist posture, so that whole you know you start having wrist problems. That you start holding your neck at a bad angle, start hurting your neck. And I guess when when people stand up for long periods of time, there are certain sort of cardiovascular problems. You people huh. like stand up at work. Um, so it turns out that's not such a great thing either. <laughs> because if sitting down all day, one of the bad things that came out was that you know when you sit down and you don't move for hours, your body start stops producing a certain protein or something, which has something to do with like the the creation your body's um, creation of like adipose fat or something like that. And so you know you don't want to sit down all day, but then if you stand up, you have another set of problems. And I guess the advice at the end of it is like, well. Essentially, the best thing to do is like every 20, 30 minutes, just get up and do something for a couple minutes. I mean, you don't have to get up and do jumping jacks or something, but just kind of, you know, get up, walk around, you know, take a, take a two or three minute break. So, which sort of makes, which is sort of common, it seems almost commonsensical, right? Because mm. you ever sit down and you like work, you get kind of get in the zone for like two hours and you don't move and then you get up and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just like, it doesn't feel good. Um, <laughs> And it, it's like you almost what you want is like a is a is a combination like the Pomodoro technique. Do you know the Pomodoro technique? We've talked about this before. Yeah, that's that's like where you do five, seven, sixteen minutes, is it, or something like that? Well, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was something like you you would work for like fifty minutes and then take a ten minute break or something like that um, yeah. with a timer. Like a timer would go off after fifty minutes and oh yeah 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 forty five minutes and fifty minute break. I don't remember what the actual numbers are, but something like that. Um, but, you know, which works from like, and I think it turns out that there, I think there's some studies that show that when you take a regular break every 10 minutes of every hour, you're more productive of the long haul because it allows your brain to reset and clear up. Right. What they should do is they should have like a desk like I had where it kind of, it raises, you click a button and the whole thing raises to standing position, but it should raise very slowly over an hour. <laughs> so <it's> not- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Think, so no, gradually it starts chasing away from you. I think what you need to do is you need to do like the Pomodoro technique, but instead of like once an hour, you take a break every 30 minutes for uh, right. five minutes. So five minutes, so work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break. Um, or work for 30 minutes, take a two minute break, and then the next 30 minutes you take a 10 minute break. Mm-hmm. You know, that, or, you know, but it doesn't have to be so regimented as that, but just kind of keep it in your mind that you kind of go in like 25, 30 minute sprints. You know, just work on stuff, which I do sometimes. Sometimes I get myself in a good zone where I'm like, all right, I'm going to work on something for a half hour. And then, you know, then I can kind of surf the web for a few minutes, return some emails. Um, I'm not always great at doing that, but I thought that's it's kind of mixing the Pomodoro technique with like, how, what's the best thing to do with standing up or sitting down? So that's not even on your list of links that you sent me. <clears throat> it isn't? No. I, had, I don't know. I had, I, oh, I was, oh, yeah. Sitting and standing at work. Okay, so what else? What else is an important one? What was one kind of interesting about? was uh, this is a quick one. Was the um, you've ever heard of the uh, Benford's law? No. So is this law was discovered by astronomer Simon Newcomb in 1881, and then again by um, physicist Frank Benford in uh, was it 1938? Yeah, and it says when you look at like a list of random numbers, 
whether it's like uh, in, in, in almost in anything in nature, like like uh, they, they come with all kind of examples. So with like the number of words in a newspaper or the, you know, whatever it is, that the first digit, the, the first digit is usually a one, and thirty percent of the time, over six times more common than an initial nine. And if you look at the, the the frequency of it being a one versus a two, a three, four, it, it's just it decreases all the way to nine. So is that because there's more ones? I have, they, they don't really know. <laughs> Nobody really knows. It's just kind of strange. But it's one way to de- to, to, determine, to determine, like, if you see some data, some random data, and um, that's not true, there's a good chance that that's manipulated data. Oh, yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah, so it's, yeah. So, but it's it's weird. And I wonder if it's because... And it says that ex- it's, it, exponential growth tends to produce it. It's scale invariant. So whatever, you know, um, yeah, whatever, with your zoomed in on or zoomed out on it, whatever you, how you roll it up. And uh, it's most accurate when the values are distributed across multiple orders of magnitude. But it doesn't make sense because once you get, you know, I can understand when you've got small numbers, right? But then once you get past a million, you know, then you've got a long way to go before you get a one again. Yeah, I don't know. I take a look, go to Wikipedia, take a look. Yeah. Maybe you have a, uh, maybe you can disprove the theory. Interesting. So, well, no, I'm. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna focus on any foo and some other stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So that's that's. I just want to throw that out. I thought that was really. I had never heard of that. Although I remember. I remember once hearing a story of like. Um, I think it was a like a theory on uh, maybe it was a math class on number theory or a statistics class. It was probably a statistics class. And he asked um, a bunch of uh, students to go out and some of them to create uh, fake random numbers and other ones to get some random numbers from, you know, like flipping a coin or something like that. And that he would look at the numbers and he would be able to, you know, as a test to see if he could figure out whether it was a truly random hmm. or, uh, or manipulated data. And he would just there and look at it. I mean, it wasn't like he ran it through some kind of computer test and it was, it was amazing. It was like almost in every case. He's like, yeah, it's manipulated. That's fake. That's fake. You know. So we also have on your linked list um, an article written by Philip Monet, who's a, a Tech Zing listener. Yeah, that was the one I was going to skip because I haven't read it yet. <laughs> oh, well, we, it, it, see that for next week. Well, I think I think at least we should tell listeners to look at it. Basically, okay. creating ri- it's it's entitled "Creating Rich Interactive Web Apps with Knockout JS." So uh, just Google that, and um, yeah, I mean it's interesting to read. It, it's a great great blog post because um, it shows you a real detailed process flow and what it's like to work with node J, uh, with knockout.js yeah because you have all these new libraries like knockout and batman and back backman back was it bat with there's backbone there's right. batman with the shopify guys did there's um spine you know there's all these i think there was a joke one that came out called ligament <laughs> which was, <laughs> was nothing to it. it was like uh you have three namespaces m v and c you're done yeah <laughs> um yeah. So uh, another thing is, uh, okay, oh, let me see. Which one I want to talk about? You know, I want to ask you a question. So um, Joel Spolsky, they released Fog Creek, and Joel Spolsky, they released uh, Trello, which yeah. is sort of like task, you know, kind of like a, um, I don't know, a, a single page app, you know, where you can create tasks and drag around columns and stuff. And it kind of reminded me of the of the project Skyboard that you and Sebastian were working on, but then which you since just sort of, abandoned well so, so what happened so skyboard went through a couple of iterations like the first the first thing was that it was a, a little bit like the trello where basically we had these cards and we thought just like in agile planning you know you have cards and you kind of move them around a wall a project board and so that's how we started um with that kind of trello look and feel um which is basically mimicking the wall 
But then we went away. Sebastian did a lot of research about it and looked at the all the competitors in the marketplace. And he did so much research and came back with, okay, look, that's just one little piece of this issue of taking an idea from the from the moment you think of it to creating a product. So we took a step back and thought about the whole process. And then it changed our whole thinking about what the product should be. So Skyboard then became something different. So then we went down that route um, and that was where we went. Uh, but then for other reasons, other kind of personal reasons and stuff that we were both doing, we kind of pulled back from the project. Mm, right. Yeah, because when I saw it, I was like, this looks really familiar. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what you showed me at one point. Yeah, um, yeah I guess because they, they did, it was interesting when he... He wrote a couple different articles about it, and you know they really didn't do the agile release. You know they spent nine months working on it, and they did the big launch at like the you know it was a launch disrupt conference, and they you know went for all of the heavy uh, blog coverage. They wrote you know you know he tried to email a bunch of these tech writers and put them under embargo and stuff. And you know I just I wonder. I mean my, my opinion is it kind of doesn't matter. You can do it either way if you mm-hmm. feel like doing it that way, and like you can you like to write you like to you know, you can launch the conference, then fine. But I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm still kind of opinion that I think it could work either way. It's just like you see examples of people who have two founders versus one founders and uh, single founders. And a lot of times a single founder is like, hey, man, this works better this way. So don't argue with. You can do it your own way. And there are plenty of successful single founder, you know, companies. But then you have a lot of people who are, you know, from two or three founder uh, startups and they're just like, you can never do it alone. Or it's a really bad idea for X, Y, and Z. But I think you can probably make it work either way. But I just thought it was interesting how... Okay, I've got a good one for us to finish on because um, you've you've been working with this and this has influenced you, influenced your work over the last week or so. Um, it's the link that you sent, why developers never use state machines. Right. You want to talk us through that and why you've decided to use that in uh, Anyfoo? Yeah, so I'm 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 still sort of um, experimenting with it. I haven't I don't have it completely built out, but I, re- I read this article um, and it was kind of talking about you know using finite state machines when you ever have like some object that has a state value, like just if just if it has like a a a, a field attribute or column that says state, right? And it can have more than one state, and uh, a lot of times what happens is that whenever in your code you're just gonna have a bunch of if then statements or or case switch statements, switch case statements where you're going to try and figure out, well, if the, if, if the status if the status is this, then we do all these X, Y, and Z things happen. And if its status is other thing, then we do this other stuff. And they were saying that, it, you know, when you build out your system and you don't use a, fi- a finite state machine, um, the code could get very complicated and then retrofitting it is to a state machine, which is a more, um, I guess, sort of a, a better organized, cleaner structure is the argument. Right, so it's it's a it's a it's easier to make sure that everything is done the right way, um, and uh, so they were talking about the big benefits that they had by doing that. Um, now, I mean, is isn't basically the Windows registry is essentially a big state machine? Why don't you explain? What do you mean? Well, because what what I think I mean the the term state machine seems like a complicated concept, but really all it is is it's just a place where you store variables of a certain state. And then your code goes and references that and says, what is the state of those variables? Do, you know, perform X, Y, and Z based on whatever that state is. And essentially, you know, the Windows registry is just a big place where you store different variables and settings about. No, no, I don't think that's quite right. I think, okay, so there's, I think one differentiation you got to make is, and, and again, Take this with the greatest salt because I'm not a computer scientist. <laughs> right. But a finite state machine um, 
is a very specific um, sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, what you call it's It's very well defined in computer science terms. A specific pattern. Yeah. Well, no, it, no, it's not just a, a design pattern. It is, it is sort of like a computational structure. It's a, it's a, that's been analyzed and, and there's a lot of, lo, there's a lot of things that can be proved about it in computer science. You talk about finite state machines and they say, right. okay, if we can say XYZ is a finite state machine, then we can, we know all these other things are true because finite state machines exhibit these properties and have this, you know, this behavior patterns, right? Now, okay. Now, of what's what's sort of similar to it, or what's sort of the light version, is what they call a state. Uh, what I would call the state machine design pattern, or what is what's known as state. It, when when you're talking about people like us who are actually building code and not proving things about algorithms, you find a state machine is very theoretical. The state machine design pattern is really what we're talking about. And what that is, is like, just imagine that instead of having a, a, a switch statement that switch in, in your code that switches on the state and then has a case for each state and you do a bunch of stuff in it, you would have a, a class that encapsulates everything that happens in those case statements in that class. And so, um, and each class would sort of be named, you know, for instance, whatever the name of that case label was. And so you would create that class, that, let's say that class is, is what's the current, the current, um, whatever the current state is, so that's, that's instantiated. And then when some event happens, you know, in the system, uh, a user does something, you know, whatever, it gets processed by that current instantiated object that represents that state, and that it knows exactly what can happen, you know, what state can come out of it, and it can passes it up to the, to the context object, and it kind of have exit and entry conditions. So it's just a way of sort of organizing your code in a very structured way. So like in Inifu, we have... S- Based on my initial analysis of what we've done through mockups, we have roughly 20 states that a session can be in. So if I'm a client and I want to start a request a session with somebody, that's the first state, right? Sends a request. And then you're the expert. Like and initialized, basically. Yeah, that's Something initialized, like that. right? Yeah. State uh, session requested. Then you get an email, and then you might click a link and look at it. So request viewed would be your second state, and then you might respond, yeah. "Yes, I can do the session, but I can do it tomorrow." But so that's isn't your third that just? State. I mean, isn't that just a global variable somewhere that just contains a state? It's just like an enum or something like sure. that. What, sure, sure. Why is it anything more than that? Because okay, right now, that, and that's how the way the way you could do it is you'd say, okay, we have you know ten or fifteen or twenty different forms. Right, which which are going to be maybe ten different forms, but based on the you know whatever thing else happens, um, are used by the expert, of the client, to change the state of the session, terminate it, dispute it, send the invoice, whatever. Right, uh, approve the invoice, review the session, all that kind of stuff. In every case, when you submit the form, you're changing the state of that session. You're changing some information in that session, right? So yeah. you're scattered throughout your entire code base is, 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 uh, is code that's manipulating this model, this session object and the this state. One, this one thing. But, this but, one thing. And it might, be in, it might be in like 10 or 20 different forms. So, but if you had one, um, one sort of file that's called like your state machine or something, your session state machine. But what and I, it, I guess what I'm trying to get at is why couldn't it just be a column in a t- in a row in a table? Why does it have to be objects and all that kind well, of stuff? Well, because because it is a it is it is a row. It is a column in a in a, in a table. I'm talking yeah. about the code that manipulates that column that has to check and say, is this a valid thing to do? I mean, what is the right. previous state? Can I move to the second state? So, is the state machine the code or the or the, the, the code? The it's the code. It's the code. 
It's the code oh. in the object. It's not the column in the database. Obviously, we have to store it somewhere, right? But what it is is when you, when you make a change to that state, right? So let's say that, um, you know, you approve. Uh, yeah, let's say that I'm a client and I request a, 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 a session request with you. Okay, you go on, you click on the link, you view it, and then you say, um, uh, yes, I will accept the request and, this, and, and, and I'm available at such and such a time, right? Yeah. Now, let's say that some variable comes and says, all right, I'm going to review this session. The session hasn't been done. That's completely you know, invalid thing to happen, right? Yeah. So you have, somewhere you have to have code that's sort of guarding against um, invalid changes, Right. right. Okay. So rather than having, because in every single form that changes this data, you're going to have code manipulating it, um, and therefore it's kind of hard to figure out like what all could have changed this and how did it happen. I so see. You have one. See. Uh, you have one sort of. It's like you might have one file. Let's say you have, and each object is really small. It's kind of small, right? Because it's really just you just you know whatever code to uh, manipulate the state and check for valid and invalid and maybe. Um, some entry or exit thing. Like, like an, an exit, like an exit behavior might be send an email, right? Send an email to the expert, send an email to the client, Ch save the new state. Okay, um, so a state machine right is along. centralized state data along with business logic to manipulate that data. I would, yeah, with, with this, I would say it was sort of a structured method for, for uh, manipulating state data that, yeah. And then the rest of your code acts upon the state machine what, what just that, says what that gives you back right so you you don't so you do, the code is sort of centralized and it's structured and you can just it's just um i think it's just it's just a design pattern it's just a way of you know doing it the short the right way i mean nice. yeah, you could do it more way i mean you could you know write a switch statement you could just have one file that just has a big switch statement and everything goes there or you could actually not even have a switch statement it's like every form just makes changes to this 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 model this you know this table and you know it might it probably will work but you know if it doesn't you're, it's easy to get confused and be like I don't know so where where did this go wrong let's go back and look through the logs and this didn't happen I think that I mean of course you want to log anything anyway but I think the state machine just seems like sort of an elegant way to organize this kind of a thing that's all yeah that sounds awesome so and that's the state uh, you know the state machine design pattern so I'm I'm kind of um, I've been kind of sketching out doing it that way for any foo as opposed to any of the other ways. I think it's kind of clean and organized. But, uh, you know, people start talking about finite state machines. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't even know what that is. I mean, I can kind of imagine what a finite state machine is, but, you know, I didn't get a degree in computer science. I got a degree in math. So the, uh, the classes that dealt with that kind of thing, I obviously didn't take. This has been a good show, the kind of show that we should put out on a regular basis. We've spoken about startup stuff. We've sto spoken about tech state machine stuff. <laughs> we didn't wander too much off the path. I think this has been, this has been the model show. You think so? We didn't get any, we didn't get too off topic. I I, I like to a little more off topic. We didn't get All in, right. it, but you know, whatever. Well, yeah. I guess uh, regardless, we're out of time. So, <laughs> 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 All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>